and welcome to another episode of Two Guys and a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. Every year around this time, we scour the internet to find Halloween-themed movies to bring to you. And every year it gets a little bit harder and harder. You know, there mm-hmm. just aren't as many Halloween... I think we say the same thing over and over again every single year. There just aren't as many Halloween-themed horror movies as you might expect. And so we find horror movies that take place on Halloween. We try to find horror movies that at least conjure up the spirit, that are tangentially related to Halloween. In this case, something that flew under our radar for at least a little bit is the more obviously titled Trick or Treats from 1982. Not to be confused with Trick or Treat, which we have reviewed before and absolutely loved, or Trick or Treat... <laughs> which was the sh- the rocking uh, Thor. Remember Thor from Trick or Treat? Oh boy, that was fun. <laughs> that movie was at least entertaining. Uh, but then we have this film, and um, wow. So it does check all the boxes. It uh, is a horror film, at least it claims to be. Right. It takes place on Halloween, and there's a lot of Halloween-y stuff in it. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I had just had this sort of feeling that at the end of this uh, podcast, you were not going to do your standard. You know, if you're having a Halloween party and you want to have something <laughs> on in the background, uh, yeah, it'd be a fun thing to do, you know, pop in and out, have a few beers, a few laughs. <laughs> yeah, probably not. <laughs> Oh boy, uh, the, the box art, everything everything about this movie is a sham. From the uh, box art that has a bag with a torn blood coming out of it and a head inside of it, uh, to the description on the back of the box, to the pictures on the back of the box. Everything about this movie is not what it seems. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a bummer. Uh, mm. You know, I... Again, I think this is one of the ones that I recommended just because, you know, it is... Well, the title. Yeah, the title, really. Uh, and, and and we hadn't seen it. And I like watching movies every once in a while that neither of us have seen so that we can kind of get a fresh take on it or whatever. But, yeah, it's it's disappointing. I mean, it, it's, it's evident that they are trying to do the kind of paint-by-numbers uh, slasher here. You know, there's... There's shades of Carpenter's Halloween. There's shades of, you know, tons of other slashers that you've seen. But ultimately, I don't know. It feels like something that could have played in primetime as a made-for-TV movie around Halloween and not a good one. Like, (laughs) (laughs) it's, it's, I don't I don't know. I mean, it's, okay, I, two major issues that I have with it is that it's billed as a slasher, and there's exactly one kill. Yeah. Then there's an implied one also, but there's only really one kill, and it doesn't happen until 20 minutes until the end of the movie. And that's boring. And then secondly, <laughs> secondly, I feel like this movie has no idea what it's trying to be. Like yeah. at, at some points it seems like it's kind of typical slasher. And then at some points it seems like it's really trying to hit the comedy really hard. Yeah. But just in parts and like those parts are kind of funny just because they're so ridiculous. But I'm just sitting here watching it thinking, wait, 
is this supposed to be a horror comedy? Like, because it's, I know. it's so sparse and it just happens every once in a while. And when it happens, it's so over the top and ludicrous that it just feels entirely out of place in the rest of the movie. And I just don't, I don't even know what to make of it, really. Yeah. You're right. I don't either. And I thought, okay, maybe maybe they're trying to play it off as a horror comedy, but there's nothing about that online. There's really no indication. And certainly the way the movie was marketed is absolutely nothing like that. If you look at the history of the writer-director of this movie, Gary Graver, he is a very, very interesting guy. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, he's certainly prolific. Well, yeah. I mean, if you just go and count the number of, of movies that he's done, oh, hundreds, it's like yeah. over over 200, except most of them are porn. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was, I was looking at all the titles, and they're all ridiculous. Like, you can tell they're all porn. I was like, one of them was like, flesh and boner. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> okay. So I clicked on it, and like, of course, there's nothing about it. Because it's porn. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Peaches and cream, indecent <laughs> exposure. I want to be bad. He did a whole series of Susie Superstar. <laughs> I was just noticing on there that uh, in 1982, around the time he was doing that, he had to squeeze this in between his two other important projects, Society Affairs and Center Spread Girls. <laughs> yeah, he must have been busy. I'm sure he was doing this one at night. And he was, yeah, actually. He was. he was shooting this movie uh, from 6 p.m. till midnight over the course of three weeks. Which would seem like a major achievement, except once you watch the movie, you're like, well, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. You're kind of surprised it took that long. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> it was even shot in the house of one of the cast members, Carrie Snodgrass, who's one of the few actually recognizable actresses in this movie. There's a few of them, which also surprised me. I, I wondered what mm-hmm. connections he must have had to get a few of these cameos, because, like... David Carradine is in it for a little while. So um, weird. Yeah, and and I don't know. There were there were other recognizable faces, people that I've seen pop up in other horror movies. So I don't know. You know, the guy worked uh, as a cinematographer a lot, um, and uh, he directed a lot too. And so even though most of the stuff that he was doing was porn or soft core porn, I can only imagine that he must have had some connections and was able to you know call in maybe some favors favors from some of these you know b-list uh celebrities it's not like david carradine is like some huge amazing star but he did some big movies he was a big name for a while Mm -hmm. i mean david carradine's gone now right like i think he's passed away um so we can't ask him but you just you just have to wonder like how did you get suckered into this movie? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of fake names, fake script, fake title. Yeah. <laughs> maybe he just gave him the pages he needed to do. Yeah, well, maybe. Well, Gary Graver did this weird thing earlier on in his career, and he just flat out wrote to Orson Welles and said, hey, I want to work with you. And Orson Welles wrote back and said, you know what? You're only one of two cinematographers who's ever asked to work with me. And from that, they ended up getting this weird friendship. They they hit it off, and they were together, and Orson Welles needed a cinematographer to work on this movie that he was producing. And now, this was this was in the 70s, and this was past Orson Welles' you know, prime. This was at the time he was getting really, really fat. He was going on a bunch of talk shows on TV. He'd done some good movies, you know, but yeah. um, he, 
he was kind of ostracized by Hollywood. His success, he's, he was kind of ruined by success and not all his own fault. But people thought he was arrogant. People didn't appreciate this outsider from the theater coming in and trying to teach everybody how it's done. And so the very innovative things that he did in film, it was just basically jealousy by a lot of the Hollywood community. And even though he won um, one Academy Award for... Citizen Kane, which you know many people recognize as one of the best films ever made. Uh, at least it was a, certainly a breakthrough film at the time. It's tons of innovative techniques, things that they were not ever doing in film before then. He, he did on that movie, and it's also a fantastic movie. He won one award for that, only one, uh, for screenwriting, and he didn't even show up to accept it. That's how much disdain he had for the Academy at that point. Well, this guy, Gary Graver, got a hold of him while he was trying to shoot this movie. And this was this pet project that he had going on in his later years of his life, where he was traveling around from South America to Spain to all these different places in the world uh, and just uh, shooting here and shooting there over the course of a couple decades, this unfinished film that he never got to to finish before he died um, called The Other Side of the Wind. And this was to be his sort of final swan song uh, take on Hollywood uh, and the Hollywood scene and, and, and basically poo-pooing the whole thing in the 70s. He never finished it. And if you read any biography of Orson Welles, and I, I, I was pretty fascinated with him at the time. I thought, oh, what a shame, you know, that this guy's last movie. It just seemed like, like this hobby thing that he was working on. And this Gary Graver, believe it or not, was the cinematographer for him throughout that entire time. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. <sighs> He worked, this guy, Graver, worked so much in cinematography. Based on experience alone, you would think that, you know, he must have had some skill. And and if Orson Welles had confidence in him, I I believe that that was probably well-founded. And as far as cinematography goes in this movie, it's fine. It's, it's, It's nothing that would stand out to me as being particularly interesting or unique, but it's competent. And Well, you know... He gets the flesh tones right, right? Yeah. <laughs> sure. That's a joke. I don't know. I don't know. It's. I mean, it's all right. It just. It. it it's just not good. No. Like it's. It's so hard to. You're right. I'm not going to be able to do a lot of fishing and say, well, y- yeah, but at least this was good. Well, no, not really. I mean, it's all pretty lame. <laughs> I thought even some of the shooting was pretty bad. Uh, he loves to do the slow zoom. I mean, that was kind of popular earlier on there. But but you're right. Uh, it's not like it's all a wash in darkness and you can't see what's going on. Right. Um, but it's it's not particularly inspired. No, it's not. Yeah, it looks like something that was shot kind of at the end of a long day for five hours a night before everybody decided to go to sleep. Right, right. <laughs> and, it, you know, it was low budget. I think it shot on a budget of, like, what, $50,000 or something like that. And he raised some money himself, and he did, you know, like, he begged, borrowed, and stole to, you know, even get that small budget. And like you said, they shot the the vast majority of it in an existing house, which is fine. I mean, it looks good. It it doesn't look like they were too constrained by space or, or anything like that. But then there, you know, anything that didn't happen in the house, like there are some scenes that take place in a loony bin, and that's the best way to describe it because it's so stereotypical and stupid. Like it doesn't look like a medical facility at all. And <laughs> no, yeah. in, in fact, like... it looks like they shot it on a bare soundstage. Like, yes, like there's nothing there. Like just gray floor, gray walls. It, it, <laughs> 
It does. It looks like they went to the high school, the local high school, and set up a bunch of tables and chairs on the soundstage and just yeah. lit the, the, the scrim behind them. It's so nuts. Uh, and they're supposed to be nuts. And it, again, it's another one of those cases where everybody acts so ridiculously insane. Everybody's got some weird quirk. And uh, it's like a cartoon idea of what insane people would be. Yes, exactly. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's stupid. <laughs> I mean, there's just no getting around it. It's dumb. I don't know. I mean, yeah. the premise... In theory, the premise sounds like, well, okay, that could be interesting. Okay, so you it, we, we open up on this couple eating outside, and it looks like a scene pulled directly out of Heather's when Winona Ryder's parents were constantly sitting outside, like, eating breakfast. It looks exactly like that. It looks just like the same house. Mm-hmm. And this couple is eating breakfast, and it's like, you know, this kind of twitchy middle-aged wife and the husband who just seems to be totally closed off like i she talks to him i don't even think he says anything to her like he just gives her dirty looks and then the doorbell rings and she goes and picks she goes and answers it and it's were the okay so it's two orderlies were they supposed to be twins or did they just look oddly alike (laughs) you know it was the early 80s everybody had a curly bushy hair and a big handlebar mustache (laughs) and Remember, this guy did come from porn, so I'm sure he pulled just a couple of his extras. <laughs> that could very well be. Well, these two big, burly guys who look identical to one another come in, and as it and they they grab um, the husband, whose name is Malcolm, and uh, as it turns out, Joan somehow has arranged to have him committed, um, and it. The, there's a long scene, like, oh my and there gosh, are there are several forever. of these. It takes forever of him, like the husband, like running around, and they're just like running around this pool, so they don't even really have anywhere to go, and so it's just the husband, like, kind of bouncing back and forth between the two guys, and like he throws one in the pool, and then that one gets out of the pool, and then he throws the other one in the pool, and then they all end up in the pool, and, <laughs> like they're trying to get. Uh, handcuffs on him, and then they eventually get him into a straitjacket. But it goes on forever; like it's the longest struggle ever. And it's not even interesting, right? It's no, like not well. We don't know. The thing is, we don't even know uh, really what's happening. Is she doing this? Are these people legit? Is this guy really insane? You know, what's her motivation? Maybe it's supposed to be a bit of a mystery, but in any case, it doesn't really turn out to be much of anything. We're just supposed to ex- believe that this guy was insane and she just had him committed. It's a strange place to open up a movie. Yeah, and and, and the ultimately, it, we never really know, like, because it, it, it seems like she has him set up. Yeah. But then once, then once he gets in there, like, he is crazy. So yeah. are, are we meant to believe that he was crazy all along or just the fact that he's been, you know... Uh, uh, unrightly committed the, and has been around all these crazy people that that drove him mad like i don't know it's so muddy she plays it quite a bit uneven too because it, you know it keeps shooting it keep the shots keep cutting between them struggling in the pool and her looking on and just watching it happen and at times she looks like she's like smiling deliciously you know like she like uh-huh. you said like she's pulling some trick on him or you know she's getting the upper hand in an unfair way but like you said it turns out he is crazy and so you know whatever and then later on her interactions are also quite 
quirky. She's 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 as she's a quirky character for a while. Yeah, and <laughs> this this actress, I didn't write her name down, but she was in a lot of things too. Like if you look mm-hmm. at her credits, I really didn't recognize her from anything in particular, but she worked a lot. Carrie Snodgrass. Yeah, she worked in a ton of things and a lot of TV, a lot of movies, and this was her house it was it was filmed in. Yeah. And also, while we're talking actors and actresses, one of the two orderlies who came, I also recognized right away because he was one of the two heavies in one of my all-time favorite childhood movies, Cloak and Dagger. Oh yeah, you've talked about that before. I, I was all excited and this movie, there's really very little to get excited about in this yeah. movie, so you've got to take it where you can get it. <laughs> yeah, gosh. Okay, and so then all that happens, and then you just get, you know, a card several years later, um, and it cuts to, you know, a buxom blonde in the shower. Coming from a guy who did so much porn, you would have expected there to be more nudity in this movie, but there's not. Yeah, I mean, she's, none. she's behind a, a semi transparent but ultimately opaque curtain so you can't really see her but it just cracked me up like she's showering and then the phone rings and of course this is 1982 so you know it's a landline and she like it's she reaches out <laughs> like she's got the phone like sitting right next to the tub and she reaches out and answers the phone and is talking on her landline in the shower like who does that in the shower with the water going down on her and everything, right? <laughs> it doesn't even make any sense. No. And her name is Linda, and apparently she's getting a call from an agency. It must be like a, a babysitting or nanny agency or something. Like, again, it goes on forever. Can you talk louder? Yeah, but, well, my boyfriend, he's opening a play tonight, and I was planning on... Well, do you think maybe you could get somebody else? Uh-huh. Yeah, I know. I know. How about if I came a little later? All right. No, I can't take the address down now. I'm in the shower. So she calls her boyfriend, Brett, and is like, oh, I'm really sorry. I can't come to your play. Um, I have to babysit. And he's all upset. And she's like, well, the agency said they'll fire me if I don't do it. And I have to have these babysitting jobs if I want to be able to do my acting in the daytime. And Brett is like, when else are you going to get to see me play Othello? And i like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Is this a one night only? uh... (laughs) Well, not only that, but he's this, I I think they're supposed to be young, though they don't look young at all. And He's white! And, like, <laughs> yeah, I, I realized that. <laughs> that in 1982, Anthony Hopkins did Othello in blackface back in the day. So maybe in 1982 they were still doing that. I don't know. but mm. Or maybe it was supposed to be a joke. I just didn't get it. Like, <laughs> I think... I think, honestly, I don't think the producers or writer of this movie had any idea what who Othello was. I think it just pulled a <laughs> random play. <laughs> I think that's the most likely explanation when you consider all the rest of the writing in this movie. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. And so, whatever. She says, well, I have to go, but they're going to be gone all night, so maybe you can come over later. And that's just another thing. You know, these things, there are some things that just bother me about movies, like, 
this when you have a subplot that is just entirely unnecessary and amounts no to bearing. nothing. This guy could have been cut out of the whole movie. It made no difference. There, her phone calls with him that she has throughout the evening give us no new information, do not advance the plot in any way, and uh, are totally useless. They're just chewing, chewing time. They are, and I, you know, I at least figured that he would show up, you know, at the yeah. end when she was in peril, and maybe try to help her, or maybe just show up and get killed or something. But no, she just talks to him on the phone several times, and that's it. Like, yes, and they're boring conversations. They mean nothing. Yeah. <laughs> they amount to nothing. Oh God. So, all right, okay, so. Joan, the wife, has remarried Richard, played by David Carradine, who is just chewing up the scenery. Like, he doesn't have anything to do. And, <laughs> like, I don't even know. They're dressed, like, in tuxedos. I don't know what they're supposed to be. And they're, go- they're going out for the night, and they're going to be gone all night, and they're going to a Halloween party. But they talk about, she's like, do you have the plane tickets? I'm like... You're flying to a party tonight, and you're going to be back in the morning? Like, I don't even understand what's happening. It's so love, stupid. I know, and I love it when the babysitter comes over, and uh, they're packing. So the babysitter's there, and they're packing up, and they're, they're it's like they're almost getting out the door. And she says, why don't you go downstairs and fix us a drink? Mm-hmm. I'm like, really? It looks like you're almost ready to leave. Yeah. You're going to go down and get a drink first? And when the babysitter shows up, which is, you know, which is, of course, Linda. She comes to the door, and it's, I mean, you know, we've got this Halloween theme going on. The sum total of the Halloween decorations on the outside of this house are all these cheap, like, paper, cartoony uh, Halloween decorations, like a witch's head and a pumpkin and a skeleton or whatever, just taped randomly to the door. Right, like decorations that you would see like in the hallway of an elementary school. Yeah. And she looks at them ominously like, yeah. ah, like this place is kind of spooky. Like, <laughs> she looks really uncomfortable with this spider that's like a purple paper you know, going around and smiling at her. And, and, and she stands there and she kind of taps it. And then, of course, then the camera gives us multiple shots of these things as though they are really scary. It's like, witch, pumpkin, Skeleton, spider, then her face. <laughs> right. Oh man, it's so dumb. Oh god. And and the, so we get introduced to the kid whose name is Christopher, and he's this little fat kid. And and then it cuts to a, a shot, an outside shot of this big building with a sign in front of it that says Western State Hospital, home to the insane. And that's when we see that Malcolm is now in this insane asylum. And it's just terrible acting. Like you said, like, it's like if you told high school students to do the most over-the-top, ridiculous impersonation of what they would imagine a insane asylum to be like. Like, it's, it's just terrible. You know, people mm. with ridiculous twitches and... I can't even describe it. It's so bad. I mean, just imagine. Guys jumping around like monkeys in the background. Yeah. Like eating their checkers, you know, pieces. <laughs> like, it's just stupid. It's so terrible. Um, and so we know that he's there and he's kind of talking and he's mad that he's there. And 
he talks to the doctor and he's like, when am I going to get out of here, doctor? And the doctor's like, oh, soon, don't worry. And he's like, that's what you said yesterday, doctor. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then the doctor and the nurse walk away and the nurse is like, now why did you say that to him? You know he's as mad as a hatter. You have to humor these people, Nurse Reeves. They're crazy. Like, it's just, it's terrible, it's terrible dialogue, it's delivered terribly, it's awful. <laughs> you know why, you know why, it's probably because there's an alternate version of this where the nurse turns back to him and says, you know, doctor, yeah. it seems like lately you've been under a lot of stress. Uh, it, it's, it felt like it definitely could have gone in that direction. <laughs> which sure. Which leads perfectly into the next scene where we go back to the house and Richard the husband like is flirting with this babysitter in the most over the top ridiculous manner and yeah. not only is his flirtation so ridiculous and over the top but it's also ridiculous that she like coyly plays along like yeah. he's so lecherous and disgusting and she's like oh. you must be Linda yes Mr. Adams Please call me Richard. Okay. <laughs> Would you uh, like a glass of brandy, Linda? No. <laughs> no, thank you. Are you sure? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not even a little sip? No. <laughs> Come on. No. <laughs> <laughs> And then he backs her up against the door, and she's wearing, like, this jumper. Like, I also have in my notes, like, what the frick is she wearing? Like, (laughs) she's wearing, like, this white jumper. Like, she's, like, a race car driver or something, but it's, like, shorts. And then she's got these, like, these black stockings pulled up to her knees. Like, at first I thought she was in a costume. Like, she was in some kind of sexy nurse. Well, not even sexy, but just, like, some kind of nurse costume or something when she first came in. I don't know. But anyway, she's wearing this tight little number, and he, Richard, like, backs her up against the wall and unzips her whole top, like, <laughs> down to her navel. And she's just like, <laughs> It's hilarious. I mean, while his wife uh, is in the other room. Of course, she pops in, and she doesn't seem that disturbed by it. <laughs> yeah, she's like, oh. At least she's willing to dismiss it very quickly. Silly boys. Mm. <laughs> so dumb. Oh, God. And so then, whatever. He gives her the ring. At this moment, you know, the again, uh, Joan is acting really... Both Richard and Joan are playing off each other like they're kind of weird people. Like they've got something up their sleeve... That they're just a little off. Maybe they're a little high society. Maybe they're planning something sinister. That was the impression. I don't know if you got that impression, but that was sort of the impression I felt like they were playing each other. Like, these are not trustworthy people. I guess. I think I think you're giving it too much credit. I think it was just terrible acting. Terrible acting. I, yeah. I uh, and, and, like, just so many silly... Like, the babysitter even says something to the mom, like aren't you going to introduce me to the kid? And the mom's like, oh, you'll find him eventually, or he'll find you. Like, 
<laughs> so dumb. And then they just leave. And then you meet the kid, and then really the whole the next forty minutes or so is just kind of this cat and mouse thing that just really gets so annoying after a while. Like this kid. Okay, so his room is all done up in, like, Houdini posters, and he's got all these, like, magic trick props and a ventriloquist dummy, so, like, he's big time into magic or whatever. Coincidentally, he has a working guillotine in his room, Mm -hmm. so, like, we see, he demonstrates that it actually works first, just so we're sure, and then uh, when the babysitter comes in to meet him, he is in the guillotine with his head in it and he pulls it and he spits blood out but haha it was just a gag and she is not amused at all and the thing that i found that most unintentionally funny about this movie is how obnoxious this kid is yeah. like he's just freaking <laughs> rotten like he's not charming at all no. he's just horrible and she immediately just hates him (laughs) like like, i hate you stop doing this and she's so grouchy and so mean like from the get-go like you would expect like oh hearty har christopher like that's really funny transition some arc here yeah yeah there might be some build like i could understand like you know after a while it gets old because it does get old really fast. But no, just from the beginning, she's like, Oh, Christopher! I, you're terrible! Like, uh, It's <laughs> just awful. Every single time. And, and it's just, like you said, 40 minutes of exactly the same thing. Yeah, prank after prank after prank. She's in some random room of the house, and she decides to walk into another room, and there Christopher has done some dumbass little prank on her. Or she decides for some reason to go outside to the shed and walk around in the shed for a while and Christopher is up on the second story of the shed and drops a rat on her hand which freaks her out and you know I was actually looking at the box art for this movie and reading the writing on the back and one of the descriptions says Christopher is a master of mischievous pranks and I'm like absolutely not none of these pranks are mischievous they're just stupid and mean like at one point he pretends to drown yeah. and she has to she has to jump in the pool and she pulls him out and th- another gross thing about the movie is he keeps making really lewd comments like yeah. he's supposed to be what maybe 10 you stop it now or i'll put you to bed now that's the best offer i've had all day like <laughs> gross <laughs> shut up there's a lot of stupid stuff like that and they're supposed to be clever like every one of these things ends with her storming out the room and then a shot of him and he's supposed to be saying some witty clip at the end but it's not at all witty no it's just really it's dumb it is dumb and he he pretends to drown at one point and of course she freaks out and she jumps in the pool and she pulls him out and of course you see where this is going yeah you know she first and and oh god it just drove me absolutely insane that she pulls him out and I'm like obviously she's gonna try to give him CPR and then it's gonna be haha you kissed me or whatever and I suppose that's what it was supposed to be but apparently this actress thinks that CPR is making out with somebody to get them to come back to life yes like, I know. Like she's not blowing in his mouth at all. She just like puts his mouth, her mouth on his, and like writhes around. It's like for a she's while. like French kissing him. It is disgusting. <laughs> so barfy. <laughs> Thanks for the kiss, baby. 
<laughs> and then <sighs> after he's done about six of these pranks, one of them happens on the staircase. And finally, she comes down. She says, Christopher, have you ever heard the story of the boy who <laughs> little boy who cried wolf? And he's like, no. And then she sits down and actually tells him the, the entire story. story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and my favorite part of that was there was a part at the very, very end of it where she stumbled over a word and they clearly just didn't want to do it again. Like, <laughs> no, good enough. It's oh fine. <laughs> I didn't want her to do it again for sure. No, if I'd been on that no. set, it wouldn't have been any better. Seriously, it's like a five minute long shot of her like your mother just sitting down off the cuff telling you the story of the little of the boy who cried wolf and she tells it like we've never heard it before <laughs> do you know the story about the boy who cried wolf are there any indians in it once upon a time there was a little boy who lived in a village and his father gave him the job of watching the sheep and he said son if you ever see any wolves, you must yell, Wolf! Wolf! And all the villagers will come to protect you. So the first day the little boy is on the job, he gets very, very bored. And he says, I think I'll play a joke. And he yells, Wolf! Wolf! And all the villagers come running with their weapons, only to have the little boy going, he was only playing a joke. So the next day, the little boy is back out there protecting the sheep. And what do you think he does? He gets bored again, and he yells, Wolf! Wolf! And the villagers come from all over, only to have the little boy laugh in their face. So the third day, the wolf really came. And just when he was ready to pounce on the little boy, the little boy yelled, Wolf! Wolf! And none of the villagers came to help him. And the wolf ate the little boy. He, the wolf ate the little boy all up. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Yes, I understand, Linda. <laughs> oh god so much oh, it's of this, just awful I, I really think so much of this is just to pad out the running time you know I really yeah, oh do. yeah uh okay so that's going on forever meanwhile trick-or-treaters keep coming which is i guess the only kind of cute part like mm. I, I when the door when the doorbell would ring or somebody would knock or something, we'd be like, "Oh, good! At least we're gonna get to see some cute kids in funny Halloween costumes." <laughs> and like that's all it is. Like it's just, "Oh, hold on a second! I have to go to the door again." And she does, and she passes out some candy. Okay, we can resume the plot now. Like it's just. <laughs> <laughs> Let's remind everybody this is Halloween. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and there's no sense in going over all of the no. gags. He just pulls a million gags on her. And okay, now here is the part where I le I got so confused. Like all of this is happening. We're also cutting back and forth to the insane asylum where Malcolm keeps saying that he's going to break out. Mm -hmm. And eventually he does. And the way that he does that is uh, he attacks a nurse and 
as he's attacking her, he snatches her wig off. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like lucky for him, she just happens to wear this wig. And also, Malcolm, the guy who plays Malcolm, is a big guy. Like, yeah. I don't know. I mean, certainly, I, I'm like 5'10". He's certainly taller than me, six-something probably, and big, like... Not a like a heavy fat guy, but like a big guy yeah. that I wouldn't want to get into a fight with. Mm-hmm. And he uh, he takes this nurse out. He doesn't kill her, um, but he knocks her out or suffocates her momentarily or whatever. And then he puts on her clothes and escapes the mental institution in nurse drag yeah. with full with makeup and everything. And it, it's split up. It keeps, you know, jumping back and forth. But there's this whole sequence where he's running around the city and people keep catcalling him and yeah. hitting on him and calling him ma'am. Like, he is the butchest <laughs> drag queen I've ever seen in my life. And they're trying to play it off like he's actually passing as a woman. Like, yeah. And he talks like this. Like, <laughs> it's so dumb. Yeah, it's really bad. It's really bad. Eventually, he starts calling the house. And like at first, he doesn't say anything. And then he's just kind of breathing heavy. And at one point, he says, I'm coming home, darling. Or to I don't know. It's so dumb. Whatever, and then- it it re- yeah, it reminded me of New Year's Evil. <laughs> <laughs> I am evil. Oh, God. And then she just hangs up the phone. And, and she thinks it's the kid somehow. Because in one of the tricks, the kid threw his voice so yeah. that it looked like the dummy was talking. So, and, and she even has to lay that out. She's like, I know it's you because you can even manipulate your voice. Like, mm-hmm. we get it, lady. Yeah. We get it. And you would think that this movie is well, well. First of all, there's absolutely nothing scary going on here. There's no. no tension. There's no drama. There's no nothing. And you would think that again, like we were talking, like is this just supposed to be a horror comedy? Is this supposed to be this kind of cute thing? Uh, are we supposed to take it seriously? But they keep punctuating this. Every now and then, they'll make some of these scenes fake scary, like. There's this moment where she goes up into his bedroom because she hears something and she thinks that something's going on. And suddenly the music gets all creepy. The light to the bedroom doesn't work. And so she's inching around the walls and by this poster. And then, ooh, there's a skeleton. There's a skull on top of his dresser. Uh, Freaks her out a little bit. And then she walks by and, oh, the guillotine falls down. And, oh, you know, it freaks her out. This room is a small bedroom. You can walk to the door, open it up, and see everything in front of you mm-hmm. without having to poke or prod anything at all. You don't even need to flip the light on. The light coming in through the door should be able to show you everything yeah. that is in this bedroom. You could walk the perimeter of the room in like 12 steps. Like, it's yeah. not big. <laughs> There's nothing like this. And and why is she poking and prodding around here like it's so scary all of a sudden? It's, it's just one of those things. And that's one of the things, too, that happens later on. When the killer finally comes home, you know, there's just these alternate moments where he's running after with a knife going nuts and other moments where everything suddenly gets quiet and calm and sneaky for no apparent reason. Oh, gosh, that that's jumping kind of ahead. But 
it, it's worth noting. I mean, there's one point, you already mentioned the shed, like she was in the shed at one point. In the end, when the killer shows up, and we'll go back, because there's a couple things I want to talk about, but there's one point where they're in the shed together, and she literally sneaks right past him. Like, <laughs> they are centimeters away from each other and we're supposed to believe that he doesn't notice yeah that she is moving right like like you could feel their breath on one another like mm-hmm. it's so stupid oh but what i was trying to get to before was you know okay so he's running around as a nurse and then eventually he um find some bums and he makes them get undressed and that's all again it goes on forever it takes way too long and the bums like are you going to rape me like oh my god (laughs) and so he steals their clothes and then right after this it cuts to a scene that i thought something had went wrong i thought all of a sudden i was in a different movie Mm -hmm. i'm like what is happening like all of a sudden we're in an editing room where these two women are editing horror films and they go off on this huge long discussion about how horror films are really made in the editing room and the director really doesn't have all that much to do with it. These horror pictures give me the willies. It's only a movie, Andrea. Look, Connie, I love movies. I love editing. I love making movies more than I love eating. But these horror movies, they make me scared to drive home alone at night. I know what you mean. They don't exactly turn me on. Do you think people will ever get tired of these films? No. I think people are always interested in the latest monster that will pop up, or how much more blood can be spilled, or how many more guts can be ripped out. And the producers will keep pouring them out. Yep. I was like... Did my link get messed up or something? Like, and are they trying to get real meta here all of a sudden? And then, then it actually shows us a clip from the movie that they're editing, which is even cornier and cheesier than the movie that we're watching. It's like a Doctor Frankenstein movie, and this mad scientist is putting together this this body, and he's like. All right, give me the heart. Okay, I'm putting it in now. And then he's like, "Okay, nurse, give me head." And the nurse, the nurse looks at him, and he's like, "The head, nurse." Like, oh my god, mm. like <laughs> so bad. But I guess it turns out that these women are friends of Linda's. Yeah, because they don't find that until five minutes into the scene. I, Linda calls them, and I guess it's so dumb, and like it just comes out of left field. She's like, "Oh, uh, I have to go to an audition tomorrow, and they want to see that tape that you said you'd edit for me. Is it done?" And the girl's like, yeah, it's done. You can come get it. And she's like, oh, I can't because I'm babysitting, but I'm in this particular neighborhood. And the lady's like, oh, that's okay because that's where my hairdresser lives and I was going there anyway, so I'll bring it to you. You were going to your hairdresser in the middle of the night on Halloween night? (laughs) I know. I was thinking the same thing. (sighs) I'm sitting here with an angry look on my face because it's so, (laughs) like, God, it's so stupid. Stupid. And we're about an hour into the movie at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's getting close to over, really. Mm -hmm. Then, okay, so Linda gets some more trick-or-treaters, and then she ominously leaves the door partially open. Dun-dun-dun! Well, she leaves a door partially open, and then the door that is partially open that everybody sneaks into is a completely different door. 
I don't know. Yeah. Oh, it's so stupid. And then she then she sees a report on the TV about Malcolm escaping, and it's the nurse who he attacked being interviewed. It was a vicious and savage attack, the work of a maniac. He jumped me as I leaned to tuck him in. He threw me on the bed and then jumped on top of me and put it in my mouth. Uh, he put the gag in your mouth, you mean? Yes, gag. yes, he put this in my mouth and I couldn't cry out. He, he tied me up and took off all my clothes. <sighs> you, why? Why are you trying to be funny at this point? Like, I'm telling you, I, I really think that this movie had a dual purpose, that if this didn't work as a horror movie, he had a whole other plan for it. <laughs> maybe, maybe he should have gone that direction. I might have enjoyed oh, it more. It would have been way know. more fun. Way more fun. <laughs> oh, God. The worst porn would have been way more fun than this movie. Uh, and okay, and so then there's a bunch of stuff running around the house. I have in my notes why is there an abacus in Joan's room? <laughs> a giant, <laughs> giant abacus on a table. It's the, it's is it just a is it just a decorative abacus or like <laughs> doing, does does Joan practice the art of abacus in her spare time? <laughs> oh God, I don't know. Eventually, Malcolm returns to the house, and there's lots of prowling going on. And he prowls around the house for five minutes. Five minutes. Room and and room then, room. then Linda's friend, the video editor, shows up, and then she prowls around the house for ten minutes. In exactly like... the same way that he does. Each room God. in the same order. <laughs> Every shot for shot. <laughs> it's another one of those cases where, hello, is anybody here? Then you go to another room. <laughs> hello, is anybody here? Come on, Joan, where are you? And then you end up in the attic. <laughs> Yeah, like why? Like even if she, even if she were home, like are you really gonna go look for her in the attic? Like leave the tape on the table at the door and go. But no, she she looks through the whole house and um, Malcolm is up in the attic and he stabs her like once in the back of the head, and then she, he she turns around and he's like, "Wait a second, you're not Joan." <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. Oh, God. I couldn't figure out why this movie's rated R for the life of me. I couldn't, no. I could not figure out. There's language. There's nothing like that. It's not blood. I mean, there's some blood, but it's not gory in, in a sense that there's any kind of gore effects. She falls. He, he stabs her from behind. You don't see anything happen. You see her fall down. You see he's holding a knife that has some blood on it, and then you see a shot of her, and her face has some blood splattered on it. That's Well, it. right, and he stabbed her in the back of the head, and somehow that made blood splatter all over the front of her face and her yeah. boobs. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> but, that, but you're absolutely right. That's the only actual blood we see. There's blood in other parts, but it's fake, and it's intended to be fake because it's, it's stupid lame Christopher mm-hmm. doing his dumb tricks, constantly biting on blood pellets Capsules and spitting out blood yeah. yeah that's it yeah i have no idea it, pg-13 gosh pg it's there there's nothing to it Mm-hmm. okay and so then it leads up to the end where linda is in the house and mal chases her for five minutes and like it's like he thinks that she's joan mm. and and at this moment when when he first approaches her he approaches her from behind and she thinks it's Christopher, you know, messing with his voice again or whatever. She starts to talk to him and he yells at her, don't look at me. So she doesn't for a while. 
And then he goes on this ridiculous monologue. Clever of you, Joe. Very, very clever, the way you put me out of the picture. As soon as you were tired of me. Except. Except. I have a little punishment for you for what you've done to me. Meanwhile, she gets out her compact and <laughs> looks at him in the mirror and sees that it's not the kid and just continues to sit there. Like, yeah. get up, run. Like, there's at least a couch between you. I mean, what are you waiting for? Or, you know, at the very beginning, maybe say something like, I'm not Joan. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Right. Like, like, act like a normal person would act in this situation. And they're the babysitter. The whole chase is just absolutely also not interesting interesting you know you've waited the whole movie for something like this to happen and it is also insipid and boring yeah he just runs after her she runs out of the house outside and where does she go she goes to the shed and right, she runs into sense. the sh- and shed and climbs up in the top of the shed and somehow in this tiny little shed she's able to lure him to the top so she can jump down and she runs out of the shed. Okay, again, she's back outdoors, and where does she go? She runs to the the car, which, of course, she gets into, and the car won't start. And he stands outside the car, waving his knife around, saying a bunch of dumb things, but not actually doing anything until finally he tries to reach his hand in the window, and uh, she gets out of the car, and he comes through the car. So now, where does she run? Back into the freaking house. The minute she goes back into the house and runs upstairs. Now suddenly he's careful and quiet and cautious. And we get a good long three or four minute scene of him step by step, looking behind him and in front of him, creeping up the stairs. My favorite part of this whole chase was that she had absolutely no concern for Christopher whatsoever. Yeah, I know. (laughs) You're on your own, kid. Sorry. (laughs) Didn't even think about him. Didn't even think about him. Yeah, I mean, not that I would have, I wouldn't have cared either. I would have been throwing that kid in front of me. To, he's it's, so obnoxious. At some point, we're supposed to believe that Christopher got got killed too, because well, it's a, it's a house. red, it's it's a misleader. Yeah, you, because he's been so obnoxious all night, and she's been trying to get him to go to bed all night, and he won't. And then after Malcolm gets in the house, she finds him in bed, and she's like, "Oh, hardy har, you choked to death or something." And we're and then we see that Malcolm was hiding in the shadows in his room. So we're kind of led to believe that he's been killed. But it's not true. She ends up back in his room and he wakes up and literally says, I must have dozed off. Is it still Halloween? Like, <laughs> and, and, she, and she's like, no, there's a killer in the house. And he's like, okay. <laughs> and oh, Todd, I don't think that I have ever seen a more inept ending to a movie ever in my oh, life. Oh my word. This was so bad. They set up – I don't even know what their plan was. <laughs> they, they set they, – like they pulled the blade up on the guillotine and she's like, does this thing actually work? And he's like, yeah. So they stand there. They She puts the guillotine between herself and the door. She holds up a fake gun pointing towards the door, like through the guillotine. And eventually Malcolm starts like wriggling the doorknob and, and is trying to get in and they're like waiting for him to get in. And stupid little Christopher is just standing there holding the rope on the guillotine with, like, a henchman's mask on. And eventually the doorknob stops rattling, and she says, wait a second, where did he go? What happened? Where is he? He bursts in through the other door, which is on the other side of the room, and fully 
deliberately places his head <laughs> in the guillotine, guillotine. <laughs> and they pull the blade and it kills him. Yeah. What like, the fuck? <laughs> like <laughs> It was hilarious. <laughs> oh my god, I mean, it was ridiculous. And, and set aside the fact that none of it is convincing whatsoever. I mean, set, set aside the fact that the the guillotine when it falls kind of bounces off of his neck. It does yeah. it's clearly not very heavy. It's a magic trick. Yeah, and he clear and he clearly has the same blood capsules that Christopher has, and just yes. bites on them and spits them out. It's oh not like God. his head falls off, or we can see any, you know anything like that. No, but but add to it the fact that he comes into the room and deliberately places his head onto that thing. Uh, well, that- like I think that it, it the blocking must have read you trip and fall into it. But no, like, it, it's just, he walks in and kind of pretends to stumble a little bit and then very carefully <laughs> rests his head right in... Oh, my God. It is one for the books right there. I'm sorry for what I did to you, Linda. I promise I won't do it anymore. No more tricks. It's all right. I have to call the police. <laughs> And we get this long shot of Christopher, and his face kind of changes. Yeah, he picks up the knife. Picks the knife knife up and kind of looks at it with a bit of a smile. The next shot is the same shot we've seen of her over and over again every time she's talking on the phone. Except now she's crying and she has a gun next to her. And so she has come downstairs, sat deliberately on the sofa gotten a good cry in so that and then so she can reach over and, <laughs> and pick up the phone to call the police she's like hello police christopher creeps up behind her and raises the knife and freeze frame yeah yeah he stabs her in the back of the neck are you kidding me well it is are you kidding me but i saw it coming a mile away you know like as soon as he picks up the knife and smiles i'm like oh okay so you know, just like his father, he's a psychopath too. All right. I mean, like, I don't know, shades of Friday the 13th, I guess, but it was, I don't know. God, it was just so this dumb. The dumbest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I mean, this is this kind of, this one, between this one and Don't Go Into the Woods, you know, it's yeah. hard for me. I mean, and, and Don't Go Into the Woods was a worse movie because it wasn't even as well made. This movie, as far as, uh, you know, technically, yeah, as far as shooting is concerned, it's it's far and away not the worst movie I've ever seen. But as far as plot and even the acting, like, oh, God. I, I, I've seen worse acting, to be sure, but it's bad here, and the the dialogue is bad, the premise is stupid. You know, a lot of the times I'll say, you know, it's 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 dumb, but you know that can be fun. Bad movies can be fun. It's not even fun. No, it's like, boring. Yeah, it's boring and pointless. And uh, God, I was looking at my watch. I was looking at Facebook. I'm like, Jesus, is this over yet? Come on, don't watch this movie. <laughs> I, I, I watch it in three separate sessions <laughs> over three oh, days. Oh man. I was like, oh, God, I have to finish this movie. That's how I was for the last half hour. (laughs) (laughs) i got to finish this movie because we have to talk about it for a stupid podcast. (laughs) (laughs) The sacrifices we make for our audience, you know? I know. I mean, (laughs) it's a a labor of love. (laughs) (laughs) 
So the only other interesting thing I can say about this has nothing to do with the movie, but everything to do with Gary Graver. So the rest of the story is Gary Graver himself ended up with Orson Welles' Oscar for Citizen Kane. He claims that Orson Welles gave it to him, and it was used as a prop in this this last movie that he was shooting. And after they shot that scene, he just handed it to him and said, here, you hold on to this. And he took it as uh, he was giving it to me as a gift and as as part of payment, you know, for the working that he Mm -hmm. was doing on the movie. Later on, Orson Welles' I think either widow or daughter uh, was was looking for the Oscar and couldn't find it. And she wrote to the Academy and got a replacement Oscar sent to her. And there are all these rules about how Oscars yeah. can and can't be sold. Or yeah, you if can't. They, I, don't, I don't think you can even give them away. No. Like if, if you, you have to return them to the Academy if mm-hmm. you're getting rid of it. Well, he tried to sell it. He put it up for for sale, and she found out about it, and they got in this big lawsuit, which he eventually lost. So he ended up having to give the Oscar back to her. And then later, like a year later, she really needed money. She found some loophole in all this, and she ended up selling the Oscar herself. And the reason she was able to do it was in all the agreement that they signed with the Academy, it all references the person who the Oscar is given to. And since she was not the person who actually the Oscar was given to, uh, the judge in that case that the Academy brought against her said, it, you know, your agreement doesn't really work here. And so she was able to sell it. So this guy, um, you know, got wrapped up in all this a really interesting bit of film history. And then even though he died in 2004, uh, what happened But this year, but this film that Orson Welles did got made. Huh. The Other Side of the Wind. I was totally unaware of this. Some Kickstarter went up last year. Some editor that, I guess, had some relationship with Orson Welles or somehow, um, you know, everybody sort of felt would, would be capable of finishing this movie, which Orson Welles had, had um, I think he had edited 45 minutes of it and then left extensive notes and a thousand hours of footage. They did this Kickstarter wow. to get this movie finalized. The Kickstarter was successful. This guy went to work, and as of August... On Netflix, it was released. Huh. And so you are able to see all of Gary Graver's wonderful cinematography and Orson Welles' vision, and they say it's quite good and probably quite accurate to what he wanted um, up on Netflix. So if you're going to go see a Gary Graver's film, I would suggest one of two things. I would suggest go go see right now, go to Netflix and see The Other Side of the Wind, which is a serious piece of film history that we nobody ever thought they would ever see. Or uh, you could rent The Erotic Adventures of Annie Fanny yeah. <laughs> or um, home, home But Not Alone. <laughs> and I'm going to make it a point. I'm going to make it a point to go see all of them just to make sure. Yeah. Well, you should. And you can report back to me. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks again for listening to another episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. We are one week away from Halloween, and we promise you that the next week's Halloween movie hopefully won't... Well, we promise you it won't be quite this inept. Uh, Even though we haven't seen it, we know Rob Zombie makes some pretty good movies, and Rob Zombie's 31 is going to be our release on October 31st this year. So please stick around for that. Until next time, I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. With Two Guys and a Chainsaw. Driving Miss Daisy crazy again. <laughs> Tail Taggers 101. 
Oh, there's a tail taggers 122. Boy, you don't suppose they're like 122 tail taggers, do you?